Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. sunshine as you do sing through the first time turn around and shake hands with as many as possible glad to see so many here today at the long beach municipal auditorium and now all together on heavenly sunshine 
Heavenly sunshine, heavenly sunshine. Turn right around, give everybody a hand. Well, I wish you could be with us, friends of the radio audience, and see this wonderful time of fellowship here at Long Beach. Denominational lines take secondary place when we're here. It's a question of whether you're one in Christ. Born again, that's what counts. So come on, let's sing it all together once more, right through into the microphone. Heavenly
We've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. Oh, this is like heaven to me. Yes, this is like heaven to me. I've crossed over Jordan to Canaan's fair land, and this is like heaven to me. We've heard the sweet music, the heavenly chord, from glory land over the sea. A soul-thrilling message from Jesus our Lord, and this is like heaven to me. Oh, this is like heaven to me. Yes, this is like heaven to me. I've crossed over Jordan to Cain's land, and this is like heaven to me. We're looking for Jesus with glory to come, tis Jesus who died on the tree. A cloud of bright angels to carry us home, oh, that will be heaven to me. Oh, that will be heaven to me. Yes, that will be heaven to me. A cloud of bright angels to carry us home, yes, that will be heaven to me. Now, Mrs. Fuller with the letters. Go right ahead, honey. Greetings, friends. Now for a few letters, dear Reverend Fuller. I used to listen to the old-fashioned revival hour with my husband and children. A happy, growing family. Now they are all gone. My husband to that better land. My children are out in homes of their own. So I listen alone. And what tender memories your program brings. The music is so lovely, so comforting, and the messages feed my soul and lift my hungry heart. A young serviceman writes from Germany, Dear Reverend Fuller, I sure love to hear your program with such wonderful, cheering, comforting gospel music. But to me, the best part is when you preach the gospel, so plainly and in the power of the Holy Spirit. To me, it is tops. And your whole broadcast is what we servicemen and people everywhere need. From Nova Scotia, dear Brother Fuller, I have listened to you for quite some time. I am a lightkeeper in a lighthouse on an island one mile from the shore, and I never can go to church. Sorry to say that I am not a Christian, but I love to listen to your broadcast, and I would like to have your prayers for me. I live alone, and I get very lonely. Well, I know that many friends will be praying for that lonely man up there in Shag Harbor. All he has to do is to open his heart's door, and Christ will come in, and then he may know forgiveness of all sin, companionship, and fellowship with God. A pastor in New Brunswick, Canada, writes, interestingly, Dear Brother Fuller, since coming to Canada from Scotland four years ago, my relatives in the old country write me glowing testimonies of your hour, coming to them from Luxembourg Station. Such a difference from our usual gospel programs in our beloved Scotland. Here in Canada, so many listen and are blessed, and I'm able to make valuable contacts by referring to your program. For some reason, it was withdrawn for one morning last year, and I assure you, its silence struck a solemn death knell over our radios here. But friends, we do thank God for these 28 years of spreading the gospel. Nearly 2,000 broadcasts, oh no, many more than that, because for years we had two programs on Sunday. You remember the Pilgrim's Hour? 
Well, God is using this program to carry blessing more than ever before, but we do need your help. And then I would like to ask Leland if the chorus could sing a song now for that lonely man up in Shag Harbor and that lighthouse and for other lonely people everywhere, praying that God will carry blessing to their hearts in this song. Thank you. 
fill the part in that lovely number. May we stand and sing two verses of number 120. I love to tell the story. Remain standing for prayer. Well, it's a wonderful sight to see so many of you here at Long Beach today. It'll be wonderful when we meet around the tree of life, won't it? Up yonder and have fellowship throughout the eternal stage, uh, ages. But in the meantime, may we love to tell the story of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. All together, two verses. I our hearts together in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank Thee for the gospel, the good news which tells of Thy love and Thine abounding grace to us who are sinners. We thank Thee, O Lord, that though we were Thine enemies, though we were alienated and cut off from Thee by, by nature children of wrath, yet Thy great grace has come to us, bringing us salvation and deliverance from sin. And we pray today for those who may be under the load of condemnation, the load of guilt because of their sins, who may feel discouraged and feel that there is no hope. And we pray that this great good news, this glorious gospel may come home to them, that they may realize that it is not a matter of reforming their old nature, but of rather 
that old nature being replaced with the Holy Spirit and with the nature of Jesus Christ. Father, today we pray especially for our beloved America. In these hours of international crisis and difficulty, we pray that thou wilt give wisdom to those in authority. We pray especially for the president of our land, that thou wilt give him wisdom as he makes the many decisions that he must make in his office. And we pray today, O Lord, that thou wilt bring revival to America, that in these hours multitudes may turn to Jesus Christ, and that we may see happen in these days what has happened in previous days, when Wesley and Luther came to the front. For we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Savior of 
Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. His message today is titled, First Opposition to the Gospel. Open your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 1, as we rejoin the broadcast. I'll provide additional information after Dr. Fuller's message. Savior through the sun. 
we open our Bibles, please, to the fourth chapter of the book of Acts, verses 1 to 12. Acts 4, 1 to 12. The record of events outlined in these 12 verses centers around the healing of the lame man at the beautiful gate of the temple. Chapter 3 tells the details of that healing. One of the early post-resurrection, post-Pentecostal miracles wrought in the name of Jesus. In chapter 4, we come to a smaller group for a while teaching the people in Solomon's porch. Peter and John were arrested and held in custody overnight. And we note in Acts 4, 1 to 4, that is, they, Peter and John, had been arrested by the priests and the captain of the temple guard. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about five thousand. Here we find the first open opposition to the gospel of Christ after Pentecost. The said opposition headed in a large measure by that group called the Sadducees. We note from verses 5 and 6 that the following morning the Sanhedrin the religious supreme court of Peter's day, had convened. And this religious court consisted of 71 members, 23 forming a quorum. It was before this Sanhedrin that cases involving the violation of the sanctity of the temple were heard and the verdicts rendered. What a scene! It came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priests and Caiaphas and John, Alexander, and as many were of the kindred of the high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Get the picture, please. Here in the midst of the wealthy rulers of society, both the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Sadducees being to the front, decked out in all the glory of their brilliantly colored robings, a gathering of the keenest, sharpest intellect of that day stood two unlearned, illiterate, humble fishermen garbed in their lowly garments. We note according to verse 13, will you notice it? When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned or illiterate and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. That is, in the eyes of the Sadducees, they looked upon Peter and John as illiterate, as ignorant, as obscure, as, well, unprofessional, as plebeian, men of the common class. Thank God for them. In the Gospels, we note that the Pharisees headed the opposition to the lowly Nazarene. 
But in Acts, the Pharisees seem to be in the background, and now the Sadducees heard or headed the opposition to the newly formed church. And in passing, may we note for a moment what the Sadducees stood for. Three things should be noted in connection with that group. First, they denied the supernatural, the miracles of Jesus' day and miracles after Pentecost. Second, they held to the freedom of the will to do that which was right in their own eyes. Restraint off. In other words, freedom of the will. And they held in supreme contempt the traditions of men. Now note in the background, in their presence, a man lame from birth had been miraculously healed. These Sadducees denied the supernatural, the miraculous. Either Sadduceeism must end or Christianity must be stamped out, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So according to verse 7, we read these words, And when they had set themselves in the midst, they asked Peter and John, By what power or by what name? Have ye done this? The Sadducees steeped in the wisdom which is earthly, sensual, and devilish bring the main issue to the front and they ask the leading question. Now notice, by what power or by what name have ye done this? Now watch the proceeding. Two illiterate Fishermen, face to face with the keenest legal minds of that day, and from all outward appearances, Peter and John had no chance. They would be squashed immediately. Their mouths stopped. That is, from all outward appearances, it would seem that way. For how could they, unlearned, illiterate, in the eyes of men, stand up against the sharpest of legal minds. From all outward appearances, they would be utterly confounded, and that right soon. But wait, an unseen guest, an unseen heavenly companion comes to the proceedings. First in verse 7, the Sanhedrin came directly to the question before them, as I have read it to you, by what power or by what name have you done this? Why, there stood the lame man, according to verse 14, lame from birth, was standing with Peter and John. And here the Sanhedrin was face to face with a fact. They could not deny the fact, so they asked the question. Now, Deuteronomy 13, won't have time to go into that chapter in too much detail back in the Old Testament, but that chapter throws a great deal of floodlight upon this scene. And I'm using just a little imagination now. 
I haven't any doubt that one of the Pharisees steeped in the Old Testament law and so forth leaned over to the leading legal light of the Sadducees and said, now we must have some basis uh, for rendering our verdict. And back in the 13th chapter of Deuteronomy, we find these words. If there arise in the midst of them a prophet or a dreamer of dreams, a perfect description of the two men who stood before the Sanhedrin, and he gave thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder came to pass. Now note, and if the sign actually wrought is intended to lead from Jehovah to other gods, ye are not to hearken, and this man is to be punished with death. And in the 14th verse of the 13th of Deuteronomy, then shalt thou inquire and make search and ask diligently. And behold, if it be truth, the thing certain that such abomination is wrought in the midst of thee, then the death penalty. And Peter and John, standing before the supreme religious court of that day, with all of their dignity, and learning, and prestige, and temporal power, faced the death penalty. Here we have the two men, a prophet and a dreamer of dreams. They had wrought a sign, and according to the ancient instructions, the rulers of the people were to search and inquire diligently. The death penalty was to be passed upon the men attempting to lead men from Jehovah to some other god. Peter and John faced the possibility of the death sentence being pronounced. But wait, will you notice verse 8 of chapter 4 of Acts? The little word, then, that's an emphatic word, the scene changes. The Sanhedrin doesn't see it with the natural eye. Only Peter and John sensed the change. For we note these words. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel. There's the change. The heavenly guest. The heavenly comforter was standing by. The one who ever and always would take the things of Christ and reveal them unto his own. Did not the Lord say, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel? And lo, I am with ye always, even unto the end of the age. Did he not promise never to leave, never to forsake? Did he not instruct his disciples in Matthew 10, 19, or 17 to 20 as follows? But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, 
take no thought power what ye shall speak, for it shall be given un, given you in that name, that same hour what ye shall speak, for it is not that ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And in this great hour of trial and possible death penalty facing them, Peter and John needed an attorney, a pleader, an advocate. And bless your heart, Christ, the heavenly advocate was there the greatest of all eternities, of all attorneys, one with all wisdom and might and power, one who was sharper than keener than any of all the highly trained legal minds in the Sanhedrin of that day. Jesus was there through the Holy Spirit. And then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, and listen, I wish you would follow that reply down in its detail. He replied to all that was contained in the challenge. And in a few short words, Peter answers the Sanhedrin clearly, concisely, with holy boldness. They asked by what name? Notice, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto all and to all the people that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, by what power? Whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. He didn't stop there. And he went right ahead, pointing it out to the members of the Sanhedrin. Listen, he said, I'm not leading you away from Jehovah to other gods, but I'll point you to the one, the true, ever-living one. For in verse 11, this is the stone by which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And then he winds up with this climax. You 71 members of the Sanhedrin, I haven't any doubt they're all there with some of their prominent friends. You intellectual, you learned, you leaders, you Nicodemuses, you need to be born again. You need to come face to face with the fact that you need salvation. You need to have the same power which God used in raising Christ from the dead to come into your hearts and make you a new creation in Him. You need salvation from the penalty of sin. For the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. But I want you to know, Sanhedrin, that Jesus died in your place instead and God raised Him from the dead. Now, in so many words, believe. Note what He said. And if you remember nothing else on the broadcast of the old-fashioned revival hour today, listen, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven 
given among men, whereby we must be saved. And when you see great throngs of people falling down and worshiping idols, great throngs making pilgrimages to certain cities, mothers throwing their babes in the river to atone for their sins and to appease an angry God. And when you see in our own country men who through their own good works think that they will be justified before God and trying every other means following human leaders, yea, sinners by nature. And I say to you today on the authority of God's word that every system of religion that leaves out Jesus Christ, God's Son, in his atoning substitutionary work on Calvary's cross that he's risen from the dead and seated at the right hand of the Father is out of the pit and from the devil himself. Let's get it straight. There is need of salvation for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the great question is, how can I be acceptable to God? I'm alienated and cut off by nature, dead in trespasses and sin and without hope and without Christ and without God. Listen, there's only one way and that is to be brought nigh by the blood of Christ in whom we have forgiveness, the redemption through his precious blood. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men. You're not saved by church anity. You're not saved, and I need to repeat it. It's trite. I realize it. But we're not saved by our own self-righteousness works covered with our own self-righteousness. You're saved to as many as receive Him. That's it. To those that receive Him, God gives a power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on His name. friend of mine seated by the radio and here in this splendid visible audience, Will you leave your sandy foundations of your own works, of your own righteousness, of your own thoughts as to the way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death? Will you come out of the darkness into God's pure light and come and receive him or him that cometh unto me? I will in no wise cast out. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And since all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all are in need of this great salvation. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Dare you leave the radio? Dare you leave this audience today? Having heard the way of salvation through Christ, dare you? 
dare you breathe another breath as a sinner without hope, without God, and die in your sins, not coming where Jesus is. While our heads are bowed all out in the radio audience, kneel where you are, and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Christ's sake. Heavenly Father, I come just as I am. Receive me. I come claiming the promises. I come through that one and only worthy name, the name of Christ. Accept me in him. Make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. Cleanse my heart through the precious blood. I want to be a child of thine through faith in Christ. Continue in prayer as we leave the air. This is Charles E. Fuller bidding you goodbye and God's richest blessing upon you.